For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. At Vanguard, we know that this is more than just a retirement plan. This is your cappuccino date in Italy, the beach house with the matching bicycles. It's your rental car down memory lane and weekends reuniting with friends from over the years. This is the future you imagined, and we're here to help you build it. Because at Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. Discover the value of ownership at Vanguard.com. Fund shareholders own the funds that own Vanguard. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. All right, I am happy to be joined by Dario Pisano. Dario, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you on, talk some baseball. Uh, first, t- tell me about your Christmas. Uh, we're recording this on the 27th. How was uh, how were your holidays? It was good. I mean, I mean, I'm around family, the off-seasons. I don't get to see them for half the year, you know, how that the baseball life is. So it's good to be home around my immediate family and we got to go to my grandmother's house and my my grandparents house on christmas eve so with my aunts and uncles so it's and my cousins so it's good to be around family around the holidays for sure yeah no uh we had uh we, we go to my wife's sister's house um all of us there all her sisters i think she has seven total siblings so Jeez. all the, all of us and the kids and it's a madhouse for sure like just kids running around <laughs> playing games and whatnot but uh you know what it was it was good it's it's it, Part of the, I think, the nice thing about Christmas and the holidays is just being able to spend time with family, um, especially those you don't get to see very often. Especially in your case, where you you get half the year, you're not being, you're not able to see them and whatnot. So, right, uh, just to be able to have that opportunity, uh, especially for you, is, is great. Um, do you have like, any like weird or not weird? I guess do you have any like unique family traditions that you guys uh, like to do around this time? Not really, actually. Um... When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. No matter how the last game went, Anytime you take the field, you got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, no, actually, even as an Italian, you'd think like the seven fishes, we don't even, we don't do that. Uh, so on my, on Christmas Eve, we go to my my grandparents my father's parents and they do like some fish but it's not like 
the whole tradition or anything like that. And then we keep it low key on Christmas day. It's just with my immediate family. So prime rib and dream bean casserole and whatever else yeah. you can think of it, just kind of throw everything out there and not really yeah. anything crazy with like a tradition. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm half Mexican. So <clears throat> my wife's side, they're all, she's full Mexican and we have tamales every, oh, every nice. Christmas. So the week before, like she and her sisters, they all go to with her mom and they just for hours are preparing. So I think they make like 15, 16 dozen of them. And so they're just, they're, they're grinding away. And then every okay. Christmas day we go there and like, we just like, I, can't, I lost count how many I ate. <laughs> um, man, they're so good. Like that's, that's one thing that we always do. Uh, it's just tamales. That's like our main course, the rice beans and the, and the usual, but yeah, uh -huh. man, I, uh, I picked Sounds out. Sounds good, like, though. <laughs> it is Sounds good. good. Oh, man, it is so good. And then we we make so many that each family can take some home, freeze them, and then eat them throughout the mm -hmm. year. So that's one of the, the nicer things about that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, holidays, it's, uh, it's a really good time of the year. I, I do I do enjoy that time with family. Um, let, speaking of how you're, you're gone away from your family half the year, um, where where did you get drafted at, and how was that experience? So I got drafted in 2012, my junior year at Columbia University in the Ivy League in New York City uh, by the Seattle Mariners in the 15th round. Um, okay. That was, honestly, I like to describe it as kind of like, it was unbelievable. It was one of the most stressful days of my life. And then it was the best, one of the best moments of my life because at that point, um, day one was just the first round so day two was like rounds two through 15 and i think round two started at like 12 30. um so i had like a bunch of calls and a bunch of letters saying projecting where i was going to get drafted and the mm -hmm. draft is like a crazy thing where like you might they might project you to go in the third i was projected they said in the third through tenth round so mm -hmm. i was already you know i had my whole family my girlfriend, my friends over, like the draft party type of thing. Yep. Had my laptop up with the um, broadcast on, and <laughs> the rounds keep going, right? And and I'm texting my agent. I'm like, all right, when am I going to get, you know, what's going on? He's like, yeah. just hang put, you know, hang tight, stay put. And I'd hear names come off. And it was really, I had heard from about 20 teams, but the Mariners since – the year before were like really interested they even came to my house that winter and did like a home visit so they were okay. really high on me so i had all like pre-draft workout with them at safeco and everything so i was like really expecting it drafted by them and they were i think the third pick in that like each round mm -hmm. so i would just be waiting at each round to hear the third pick and another name would get called and i'd just like go oh like okay all right so the day goes by, we're kind of eating and drinking, you yeah. know, kind of like drinking a little bit to get the stress off and celebratory, uh -huh. but also more at that point, like, uh oh, like what's yeah. going on? And it's like the 14th, the 13th or 14th round, and I haven't got called yet. And I'm like, oh shit. Like, if I have to bring everybody back for day three tomorrow, oh, no. like, I was going to be upset, obviously. So I started yeah. panicking, texting, calling my agent. And in the 13th round, he was like, don't worry, like, it'll be okay. So the last pick on the 15th round, my my name, like, they read my name. And it was incredible. It's actually 
my my late grandmother was there and she videoed it and put it on YouTube. So it's actually like the moment I got drafted, you could see like I'm <laughs> I think I'm like this. <laughs> and I hear the Mariners start reading like with their 15th selection and I yeah. like peek up in the elation like when I heard my first name I just like I lost it you know like it was all the culmination of the years and years of hard yeah. work um to get to that point and you know everybody's driven by different things I was driven a lot but I'm like a northeast guy from outside of Boston 511 like 195 to 200 not the typical showcase player so i always had to put up numbers and i always heard you're not you know it's a kind of a cliche but so many people have that story where like you're not good enough or mm -hmm. you're you're not gonna you're not fast enough. i i ran like a like a six nine sixty and i threw like 80 something from the outfield there was no plus power no nothing so it was all on my performance so i kept working to get better and it was it was amazing when I heard my name and then I knew it was just the start of another career. It was starting mm -hmm. at the bottom again and I had to work my way through again. But yeah, that was the most stressful day ever, one of them. And then it was the best day, of, one of the best days of my life. It's funny. It's like that roller coaster of emotions where you're like way down here thinking, okay, maybe <laughs> it's not going to happen or maybe you happen yeah. tomorrow. And then like as soon as you hear your name called, you just that, that yep. feeling of like, okay. Like you said, a, a combination of everything you put your your hard work into, uh, all this effort that you put on through your whole career, finally with that like satisfaction of mm -hmm. a team, a major league team thinks you're good enough to pick you with one of their selections in in the second day. Um, how many how many rounds are there in the second day typically? Um, I think it's changed now. I think the whole draft has changed now. I think there's like twenty yeah, or twenty five rounds now. But when I was getting drafted in 2012 there were 40 rounds okay and day one was just round one in the supplemental first round then day mm -hmm. two was rounds two through 15 and then day three was 16 through 40. so, so you got picked in the last round on the second the day. last round oh on the second goodness. day that's why i was like starting to panic as like eight nine ten and i don't get picked and then I was like 13 and i'm like oh my god like i might have to do this all over again tomorrow <laughs> so I can't even imagine, like, especially almost like a like a pride thing, right? You're like, I'm gonna be drafted on the second day, guys. You know, yeah, come on, come on over, and then yep. that feeling of like, oh man, you guys want, you want to do this again tomorrow? You know, I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was, I actually called my agent and was like, I have to, I have to have them draft me today. Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm not bringing, I'm not right. going through asking them all to come over again and doing this all again for seven hours tomorrow. So it was like. Yeah. 13 rounds that day and like i said it started at 12 30 and i got drafted at like 7 15 so it was like i was kind of in the hole too like yeah yep. it was pretty sauced up at that point i'm all emotional and like yeah what the hell is going on and he's like it's a, it's gonna be all right don't worry i just talked to the scouting director he was like just have patience <laughs> yeah, yeah. Happen. that's crazy so you had mentioned how many teams were were interested in you prior to the draft uh, I think I had heard from either email or a letter with like a questionnaire or phone calls about 20, 15 to tw uh, 20. Yeah. Okay. So, I'd, so I'd heard you had to fill out like, okay. So you had to fill out like 20 different like oh, questionnaires yeah. and like other yeah. stuff. They'd either well, send I... it to my house or they would send it to my coach and my coach would give it to me like after practice or something. So what kind of questions are typically on those, on those questionnaires? Uh, it's just like a lot of the basic, um, 
you know, info, a lot of it has to do with like injury history. So okay. they have to know if you've had surgeries or if you've missed time, because that goes into um, if they're going to pick you or not, obviously mm -hmm. pre like major surgeries, like a pitcher with Tommy John or a guy with a torn ACL that came back from it. I luckily had only had like a minor like elbow surgery the year before. So I was good, but mostly it's, and they ask you like questions, like if you're a junior or if you're a high school guy, how much are you looking to sign for and will you sign if you go in this round so they can get a gauge for they don't want to waste mm -hmm. the pick obviously right. like they don't want to pick you and you not sign so it's that kind of stuff yes yeah, wild because if you if they pick you and then you don't you don't sign they're pretty pretty much just they, they skip that round they don't they, yeah because there's exactly. there's examples of players who get picked and then they end up maybe like going back to college or yep. um probably just about to college i don't i don't i doubt any player would be like no I'm, you know, I'm not going to play, but yeah, um, right. and you were a junior. Did you ever consider like going back to college for your senior year or you're pretty set on, on getting drafted? Uh, I, I had like a, a signing bonus range in mind if, and like a round in mind, if they didn't give it back to, if they didn't offer me that, at least I was going to go back. But I had, I had my junior year, I'd won like the player of the year in the Ivy League and was like an honorable mention All-American and all this stuff. So I actually talked to my coach a lot about the decision. And we have like a end of the year after every season, it's kind of like a wrap up kind of interview, like how you did this year and what's the plan for next year. And when I walked in from mine, he was like, there's nothing more you can do in college baseball. Like he, he said, you're you're ready you know what i love to have you back obviously for our team selfishly but you're ready for the next level and i think like it's ready you're definitely ready to start your professional career um so and then i was in that range and they offered me whatever my signing bonus mm -hmm. was plus mm -hmm. they paid for my last year of school at columbia which was oh wow okay it, it was very it was imperative because i wasn't gonna get three years of my ivy league degree and not finish it i actually i signed and then i had my summer rookie ball season and then i went right back to college in the fall of my senior year which would have was my senior year i went to fall semester and then i withdrew to go to my first spring training and then after that 2013 season my first full season i went back in the fall for my fifth year to finish my degree mm -hmm. so I, I finished and i graduated what do you uh what do you major in uh political science okay nice so you know the second career once yeah. this is all over for you. Yeah, I always thought, oh, I'll never have to worry about it. As I become 30 now, I realize, like, that's probably not true. <laughs> I definitely yeah. have to think about that sooner rather than really sooner, much rather than later now. So, wow. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, that's, that's, that's a conversation that I'm sure you don't really want to have with yourself, but eventually mm -hmm. I feel like everybody, no matter what, yeah. I feel like no matter what career you're, you're in or what, what, career you're pursuing um eventually you have to have that conversation like maybe this is not the route that that i i am going to go down and or you know how you know what i'm saying yeah of but, course uh, it's i mean i i take i have to take all that into account now i mean i'm i'm 30 i'll be 31 at the end of april and i've had a 10-year professional career um and i have an ivy league degree and somehow mm -hmm. i never i've been in triple a big league spring training fall league all this stuff and i never cracked the big leagues so i somehow had a 10-year minor league career and have never got paid so i don't know how 
that's part of the game and that's the yeah. the crazy bullshit that people are advocating for now with mm-hmm. the minor leagues and they finally yeah. they finally did a great job in getting the teams to agree to pay for housing at least i'd like a reimbursement check for the last 10 years <laughs> I, I don't know how that's gonna work but i'm sure yeah. it won't um, no i'm sure you know yeah, yeah i have to, no. uh, you know it's a realistic thing that i've been you know my it really took a huge toll on my relationship i had a girlfriend and fiance from college and mm-hmm. she didn't sign up for this stuff you know like right. she didn't know what this i mean she supported me and was incredible like if it weren't yeah. wasn't for her and my supportive parents of course and my friends everybody i was very lucky to have a huge support system but you know my my girlfriend at the time and fiance like she wore it like took the brunt of even like helping financially like support me in the off season mm-hmm. while we lived together and i couldn't afford like uh splitting rent down the middle so she would help me out because she loved me and wanted us to be together and i would you know my parents obviously always allowed they always supported me even way before like even in high school doing the showcases and all the travel tournaments and they took me and we would those were our family vacations like a tournament Mm -hmm. where i'd be playing that that's kind of where my brother and sister had to wear it where they'd be in florida or arizona or california or whatever it's just because you know, so I was very, very fortunate, but that I got to look in the mirror at some point and like, you know, the wear and tear over 10 years too. I've had injuries and stuff and I'm now at the point where I know guys that make it at 30, 31, 32, 33, even I've played with and against guys that get that, you know, that perfect alignment of the stars that lines mm-hmm. up where right place, right time, right team and all this stuff. And they get there and it's all worth it. it they would mm-hmm, say mm-hmm. they wouldn't change one thing. Yeah. And I've been juggling with that, um, especially this year. You know, it was like 10 years. And I, I was in the Atlantic League this past year playing for the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs and the West Virginia Power or the Charleston Dirty Birds. It's like the new the new name. Um, and I hit 340 with like a 935 OPS. And I didn't get signed, you know. So it's yeah. kind of like – and I had heard from a couple teams and stuff and – I missed some time with an injury right before the trade deadline, which was an inopportune time for that to happen, but that's what happens. And, you know, I've heard already this whole winter, like I heard from teams in winter ball that mm-hmm. reached out. And I just heard last week from a Mexican team that's looking this the Mexican league in the mm-hmm. summer, like once okay. we, and I just, and a lot of guys love to go over there. I mean, it, yeah. that's, I have more opportunity and it's just, there's got to be a, you know, I'm really, you can tell just how I'm yeah, talking about yeah, this. It's difficult for me right now because I'm going through that. It's been my life since I was four. And there needs to be a time where you look in the mirror and, you know, are like, come on. I mean, it's been 10 years and a lot of people have sacrificed so much and not just financial support. There's a lot. I mean, it, the strain it had on has had on my relationship is it's not fair to yeah. a significant other of a pro athlete, you know, in and out of their lives, six months in at a time. So, yeah, I mean, these are all real life things. When I was in my twenties, it's like, yeah, of course it's going to work out. Of course it's going to work out. And then you get to a certain age and it's like, all right, you know, the old veteran is now still trying to play. And I'm obviously not old life wise, but as yeah, an athlete, yeah. you know, you know how the, the that's mm-hmm. different the view of that and the perspective is different. So it's kind of like the age works against you now. And it's like, Oh yeah, you're 
30 and you have these numbers and you've had a great career, but we could get a guy that's 25 that is similar to you and we can pay him less and we have more years of control of him. So it's yeah. all the business. Um, but I am in that, not to rattle on, but no, I, am in that, rattle like, on. <laughs> I am in that <laughs> stage now where I've really, really had to do some like thinking about what I'm going to yeah. do this year. And, you know, there is stuff that I'll always love and miss about baseball, but, it, you know, yeah, it's tough. It's really hard. So, so how, how, how long were you in the, the, the Mariners uh, farm system? I was with them from 2018 until um, through 2018. Sorry, 2012 to 2018. Okay. Through okay. 2018. So six years. Okay. Yeah, six years. I played <clears throat> my minor league six-year, first-year player yeah. contract. I played, and then I was a free agent in 2018 into 19, and I got signed by the Mets for that one year in 2019. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then COVID and everything is just... <laughs> Yeah, and but I actually, injured, and then I was yeah I was I was injured when I went to the Mets. Uh, I was so optimistic. I was like, mm -hmm. I was super, you know, because things happen with the Mariners. It it was all great. My career was like going up, and uh, I went. Me and the guys that we dra were drafted in my class, and the guys below me, they changed the whole front office. Like Jerry Depoto got hired, right, right. Um, yeah. So we went through a total like overhaul of the system all the coaches mm -hmm. they like we actually to me and some of my close friends had had enough success that they retained us they didn't release us you know i just yeah. was an all-star in double a the year before and he got hired and then actually sent me to the fall league and invited me to big league spring training um so i and then went to triple a for my first time in 2016 so i was almost like wow i'm like being viewed as right a there yeah yeah and then um as a triple-A player, especially when Jerry came in with the Mariners, he was in a win-now mode. They had, like, the um, the core with Seager, Felix, Cano, Nelly, uh, Nelson Cruz, and, mm -hmm. you know, Gene Segura they just got. So they were like, we're going to win now. we got to do it now because mm -hmm. they were all kind of aging that core group of guys. So when yeah. teams are in the win-now mode, they kind of – their tri our triple-A team in Tacoma that year was, like, the oldest in triple-A. Like, we had all 4A guys that were there and then guys from the 40-man that were there. Just in case guys got hurt, they don't have the, they they don't have the like, ability to see what guys can do. They want to be cover themselves in case they have injuries. So we yep. were super old, and there were a bunch, bunch of guys on our 40-man in triple-A, and I was 24, and I turned 25 that year, and me and – couple of my other friends were like the youngest on the team at 24 and 25 which is yeah. kind of like older i'm not yep. older but average for triple a yeah. and we didn't get run like we didn't play because i mean the older guys had to be polished and it was like this is your first year in triple a you're gonna play three days a week and you'll be our pinch hitter off the bench mm -hmm. and i was never that was another challenge like not only adjusting to the new level but adjusting to that new role that I had never had in my whole life, that mm -hmm. role. So more like a part-time player almost. Yeah. I was starting like three days a week and I was the guy that would pinch it. So it was kind of like, um, I, so when I play, I was immature and young at that time. So I was like, I'm going to get three hits like every time I play and I would press and I would yeah. not get three hits. So then I'd get even more strained and like stressed out and, put more pressure on myself and then coming in you're set up for failure as a pinch hitter i'd come in cold off the bench right. 
and try to face like either the eighth inning guy or the closer. So it's kind of like put up for, but you know, I, I, I try to embrace the role as, as, as well as I could and do the best I could. And I actually like in that role, I was there that year hit 260, but a lot of my numbers that I'd been known for, like walking more than I struck out, um, a lot of extra base hits, I wasn't mm-hmm. playing enough. So I, you know, baseball isn't a thing where you could just pick up once a week, you know, you got to play every day and get hot and feel comfortable. And I feel like every time I actually feel it, I'd go back to the bench for like three days and I would be like starting new four days later, you know? So it was, it was a different experience. And then after that season, it was, I didn't repeat, you know, the numbers that I had put up to get to that point. Mm -hmm. So, you know, do you know anything about Jerry and the way he moves? It was just, constant transactions yeah i mean all the time so it was like we gave you a little bit of a chance to show and all year they'd my manager would say don't worry jerry and everyone knows we're putting you in a tough position you we know you belong at this level we know you can do it but this is just what it is for now so they told Mm -hmm. me that and then after the season they're like well these were your numbers and you were terrible so it's all about how the game is as perspective they framed it that way at the end and then Wow. kind of wrote me off after that in 2017 after that i was in not in big league camp but mini camp but i broke with triple a again and played a little bit more actually and actually did a little bit better but i split the year i was like that year in 2017 i was like half the season in triple a and i'd go down for like a couple weeks and i'd go up and i'd go down it was kind of like but i had a good year overall i had my career yeah. high in home runs and i just like had a like a different perspective like no matter what position you're in no one feels bad for you don't feel bad for yourself you know make the best of it and i did well and then i thought i put myself back on the map and then in 2018 they totally wrote me off and were like you're not you're going to be in double a the whole year so i don't know how that happened but then i went to double a for my free agent year and i was there the whole year and i hit like 290 and do the same thing i've done for my whole career and they had totally moved on you know like he made enough he had the next group of guys like Kyle Lewis coming up and yep, Braden yeah. Bishop were the prospect guys coming up. And then they had the guys that were there and I was kind of an older guy in double A that got squeezed out. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's how it happens. And that's what yeah. happens. And I had a, <laughs> I had a, I think I was always good enough to get to the big leagues and I think I should have been playing in there, but you know, that's just what happens in sports, especially this in yeah. baseball with all the different, the movement and the different levels you have to get up to. So, and get there. Yeah, that's wild. Um, yeah. So you said you did break big league camp, or sorry, spring training camp with some of the uh, like the Nelson Cruises, the Seagers of the world. How was how was it playing alongside those guys, um, especially like Nelson Cruz? I think of him. I feel like it's been so long since he was on the Texas Rangers, and then oh, yeah. I think he's been on every AL West team except <laughs> Oakland. But uh, Mariners, Texas Rangers, uh, I feel like he's been everywhere. How was it playing alongside uh, some people like him who's who's just been around the game for so long? Yeah, so that was, again, that was my first experience with big league spring training. And I was in the locker room for like three or four weeks, at least, Mm -hmm. on the team with those guys. So it was crazy. It was, um, those guys were, they were awesome. All of them were really nice. Kyle Seeger, one of the nicest guys ever. Um, Nelson Cruz, super, super nice. Still to this day, um... I've reached out to him for this charity and he's, he's sent autograph bats. He gets back to me and like, he's the best guy ever. Same with Cano. Like I asked Cano, is that, 
feel that you have to have as a baseball player, mm-hmm. especially as a young guy, like Cano goes about his business. I didn't want to, you know, the manager, Scott service was like young guys, like ask these guys what they're thinking and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's feel there, you know, it's like, yeah. they're kind of get ready. So I don't want to, <laughs> but sometimes I'd pick my spots when we'd be in BP or whatever, you know, in the locker room. And I just talked to Robbie about that stuff. And he was super like open about it. He, mm-hmm. he talked to me about his approach and, it was obviously incredibly helpful for those guys that have been that successful for mm-hmm. 10, 15 years in the game now. Yeah. And they were open and talking about their experiences in the game, little nuances, little ways that you, you know, adjust to even the travel about it. So mm-hmm. it was, it was really helpful. Like those, those guys, that was a really good experience that year. Um, all those guys were really welcoming to the younger guys and, uh, yeah, I really appreciated all the the insight that they that they gave. That's incredible, and I'm I want to talk about your your charity in a quick second here. But um, wh- when you transitioned uh, to to independent league, how different was it from like the minors? Um, maybe even when in regards to like because you mentioned how like the housing, the the mm-hmm. food, the 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 cost of living, and like even the money that you get paid or don't get paid really. As, as a minor leaguer, um, of course, they now change these rules and we'll see what happens. I mean, how long it takes to implement them and the totals, you know, how it all looks when it's all said and done. But um, how was it going through like low A, double A, triple A versus like the independent leagues? Yeah, so it's it's, it's a little bit different. Um, the lower levels, it's kind of like when I got drafted, when I was, I got drafted and went to Pulaski, Virginia, like in the Appalachian League. Um, we stayed four guys to a room in a travel lodge motel, two guys in two beds and two wow. guys on air mattresses on the floor because we had the nightly player rate. It was automatically deducted from our, from our um, paycheck. So we were trying to, again, that the stuff that you hear about these, grinding it out in the mm-hmm. overnight bus rides and they're 100 true like when i even went to low a we had six guys in a two bedroom because we had i slept next to a guy on in our living room on an air mattress a guy was in the living room in our kitchen and then there were two bedrooms and one guy at the foot of the bed in the master bedroom mm-hmm. with a air mattress so yeah we try to save as much money because we're getting pennies and eating peanut butter and jelly and all that shit you know like it's it's true i mean but when you're younger it's almost like it's like this it's terrible but you're all going through it together so it's almost like this bonding experience Mm -hmm, so it's like mm -hmm. a rite of passage almost it's still not if there's a choice choose (laughs) not to do that (laughs) right but now like you know we bond and have friendships because we were all going through that and we would all laugh almost like a little bit crazy if we had a, an extra inning game and we had a travel day and then a game the next day and we'd get in at 4 a.m and we'd be like ready to play tomorrow boys like yeah that kind of stuff now physically and mentally and for health reasons it's not good but all that kind of stuff in the lower levels um was was cool kind of to go through it was difficult and like an adjustment but you know you just kind of went through it with your boys um as you get up to like double A and definitely triple A, you can see that there are improvements. Like the ballparks are better, right. the the uh, clubhouses are better, the clubbies offer to do more, and you know all that kind of stuff. The travel actually in triple A was the worst because mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be cool. Like, oh, we get to fly mm-hmm. in the PCL, 
but we're not taking the chartered flights. We're on the coach oh. earliest flights just in case there's like a delay or our bags get lost, which happened once like and we had to cancel a game. But we're, we have to be on the earliest flight to wherever we're going the next day. So we would have like a 705 game in Tacoma um, and say a conservative three hour game. By the time we get back, 11.15, to our, like, apartments. And then we'd have a bus to the SeaTac airport at, like, 3.30 in the morning the next morning. So oh. we'd try to sleep for, like, two hours, get back up. They'd shuttle us to the airport, and then it would be, like, a 6.15 flight. And all these little ta- – even though they're bigger in AAA, they're still, like, not in major airports except for Las Vegas when we play them. There would be, like, connecting flights and puddle jumper planes and prop planes – and it'd just be like we get in at noon and then try to nap until like the game and just you know but it was better in triple a so and then the pay on your six-year rookie contract it's like twenty two hundred dollars a month um and it goes up like a, a small bonus at yeah. each level which is like a hundred like two two hundred bucks <laughs> yeah, yeah. so whatever so you don't even feel it uh and then when i was a free agent and I signed with the Mets at that point is when you can like negotiate your contract. So that was, that was finally, I got a little taste of when I negotiated, I had like a split contract between double A AA and triple A. If I was in double A, it was like eight grand a month. And then triple A would have been 11. Um, and then I had a, like a sports hernia that I was playing through there and I, my performance was taking a dive and, uh, I got released after two and a half months. So I got like a little taste of it and then I got released. And then that's when I started to go to indie ball. And I'm like, Oh my God, there is, you don't go to indie ball to make money. You go to indie ball, especially like the Atlantic league and the American association to get signed, perform yeah. and get back out and like yeah. go make money the other way or go to Mexico or go to the Asian um, over in Asia and play mm-hmm. and make money. But yeah, the indie ball, like the Atlantic League caps in the pay monthly at 3000 no matter who it was. So, wow. like, I was on the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs last year, and Matt Latos was, like, our closer. Like, guys got nine and a half years in the yeah. big leagues. He was, he was, like, he was making, like, 2100 a month. Like, that, it doesn't matter because they have a salary cap for the whole team, so they have to kind of manage that. And then the maximum amount – for each player is 3000 in the Atlantic league, which no one gets because it's, they have to keep to make a team that's competitive. They have to keep everyone under the salary cap. So it's like, there are guys on that team that are like rookies that never really had affiliate um, mm-hmm. experience that are making like $1,200 a month or like $1,300 a month. And like the travel is similar. Like we all have our own seats on a bus and whatever, and there's overnight bus trips, mm-hmm. but um, the food like not great and the um you know the clubbies are whatever you know you're trying yeah. to get out of there it's, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. going there for a glamorous life and it the glamorous life is when you're on the 40 man and in the big leagues that's really it triple a is a lot better for sure um and that's that so were, were you ever on the 40 man for the mariners or no nope. no I, okay. I was never i was never on the 40 man roster um okay. i was a non-roster invite to uh mm-hmm. spring training and actually i was lucky enough even during the COVID. you mentioned the COVID season in 2020 so many guys didn't play at all and yeah. a lot of guys had ended their career because they were mm-hmm. at 
the level or the age or that point of their career where they needed to play after. Mm-hmm. And they just were like, I can't sit out two years. I was actually fortunate enough to be in the American Association, which had a 60-game season in six teams. So I was on the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks, and then halfway through, it was a two-month season, and I played one month with them, and then the Winnipeg Gold Eyes the second month. And I played 50, 50 of the games or whatever, and I that was really huge that I was fortunate to play during that COVID season too. So a lot of guys got screwed with, with that, and it was no fault of anyone's except it was circumstance. So yeah yeah it's indie ball (laughs) it's indie ball you know but with indie ball though i found out that it's it's great because there's so much experience on indie ball like when i got when i got and no one's in it for the money so when i got traded to the charleston dirty birds that team had alberto Cayaspo on it guys 38 Yeah, 38 he played for and he's got, the Angels and Oakland. Angels, yeah. Oakland. Yeah, he played for a few other teams, and he's got 10 years in the big leagues. Like, mm-hmm. he's 38 years old, and he was my locker mate, and he was, like, our leadoff hitter or whatever. It was him. Jimmy Paredes was on our team. He played, like, five years in the big leagues. He's played three or four years in, in Japan, and mm-hmm. he's – I mean, and now he was our three-hitter, and I was our five-hitter. So, a lot of these guys – the Atlantic League especially where that's the premier like indie ball league and they don't have any roster rules. So the whole team can be made up of like ex big league guys that are just trying to get signed either to Mexico yeah. or to Asia or back into the minor leagues and triple A or something. So it was when it comes to the competition, it's comparable to like triple A, double A, triple A, like that league. So there were a lot of really good big league guys in that league. So that was the one really good thing about the Atlantic League. That's awesome. Um, that that you can. It was awesome that you were able during COVID to be able to play during that time because I know that I've had a couple of uh, players who were drafted, and um, not drafted, but they were signed as free agents in 2020 because the draft was cut to five rounds, and yep. somebody who was projected to be a 12th, 15th round pick now has to get signed for a reduced signing bonus because oh, yeah. everything was just cut so short, and everything was reduced signing bonuses and all that. Uh, one was a senior, one was a junior. They both ended up getting just signed as free agents uh, for for the Brewers. But uh, yeah, man, it's just it's wild how how everything changed with COVID. But just the fact that you were able to play that's 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 good. Just to be able yep. to keep keep yourself because you talked about how how baseball is such a, uh, a grind, but it's also like a re- repetition. Like you know, you're in that rhythm. You're it's uh, very like a what's like I'm trying to think of the a word to like describe it. Um, Creatures like baseball players are creatures of habits, what you know, we, I hear all the time. And like just to be out of that that habit for a whole year, uh, like you said, ended ended careers for for so many different players, or even for players who had hoped to get signed out of out of college yep. and ended up, you know, having to switch routes and go mm-hmm. maybe back to school or or figured, you know, that's that's the end of, of my career as a baseball player. Um, but you, you know, you hear stories all the time of like players who come back out of out of indie ball. I think my I always think of Scott Casimir, who was uh, in uh, for pitching for the he was in the majors, and then he ended up going to to I think like the Sugarland Skeeters or something, and then he was signed by Oakland. Ended up being a like an all star a year or two, and then uh, you know so there's there's always still hope, and like I I feel like you know you, you talking you know how you. Had to think about what your future is, but Dario, I feel like there's so much. 
Uh, you, you, I guess there's, you can always have hope that just based on like the track record of others, like there's still that that chance that um, players like you could could end up still on a, on a major league roster. Yeah, well, that's the that's the difficult uh, internal tug yeah. of war that I play with myself, man. Because so imagine. many others. Because I mean, I put everything. I sacrificed so much since I was younger. I mean, vacations every summer. I never had yeah. a summer, and that was great. I wanted to do that, right? Relationships in the past, my current relationship, my and at my some of my best friends' weddings, graduations funerals like holidays just missing stuff like that and you know that's part of it and i dedicated so much to get to that point and i know like if one thing went differently i could have been in the big leagues and i still Mm -hmm. know like and that's why it's really hard for guys to truly let go because once you hang up those cleats that's it like there's no coming back to it you know i mean some guys can but not at my age i think like at 30 or 31 if I go into finance in New York City, mm-hmm. like a typical like ex-athlete in the Ivy League or whatever, and start, work, I'm not gonna then. I've been so in shape and conditioned for so long doing that to start that all over. It that's it. Yeah. So it's really a really difficult decision to make to shut that dream off forever. You know, that's it. Mm-hmm. So that's where I've been having trouble. You know, I was. You know, I, I like a. I think it's Tom Brady or, you know, he's obviously I'm a, I'm a Boston guy. So I'm like a yeah. uh, Brady diehard and I, he's one of my favorite, he's my favorite athlete, but um, I forget who said it. It's like, I didn't come this far just to come this far. You know, yeah. like people always say, well, you already made it to triple a, like think about how many people didn't get there. And I said, but I don't care. Like that was never my goal. That was never my dream. Like I'll have, a chance in time to step back and broaden my perspective and think like, mm-hmm. wow, like I, you know, my career was crazy. Even being in the little league world series from when I was 12, you know, I've had a crazy baseball journey. I've been very fortunate in a lot of milestones and a lot of accomplishments, but I'm not, I'm in it still. So I'm not really looking at it that way. You know, yeah, I'm yeah. still trying to get there. And that's that difficult decision to make because I know like I've even seen guys as recent as last year and the year before who were in indie ball that I played with or against that then, you know, like I said before, the stars aligned, things happened and they end up back in the big leagues or end up making their debut at 32 or 33. Mm -hmm. And it's how long will the people in your life uh, continue to get affected that way. And there's a lot of, as you get older, my perspective changed. I used to think like, um, I didn't make the big leagues. I'm a failure, you know, like put so much, pressure on myself as a younger immature mentally even like you know if that's been my goal and you know people say don't give myself a backup plan because then i have to get there but then there's a law of diminishing returns where i use that chip on my shoulder all the naysayers and the doubters to get Mm -hmm. me to a certain point but then at a certain age and at a certain point when i wasn't doing well i continued to see those things and then i would start to like oh maybe they were right you know it would start to actually hurt me i didn't have the you know the uh mental discipline to like use it for positive and Mm -hmm. then shut it off before it started to hurt me negatively yeah right so there's a lot of things that have gone on and my perspectives changed like i said i obviously don't think that way anymore we're like if i didn't make the big leagues it was all a waste no no that's not true i know there's a lot more to life after baseball and i mean 
Jack Howell was our farm uh, was our field coordinator with the Mariners. He used to say, even if you have a 15 year baseball career, that's how much your professional career is versus your life. Right. So you're going right. to have to have to do something after that. So mm-hmm. take advantage of it now while you're in it. And I'm I know that it's going to be great. Whatever happens that next yeah. chapter of life, it's just that tug of war, like internally of like, yeah. is it going to be now or is it one more year? Because I've also been on team Italy. I finally got my, um, oh, okay. I got my citizenship. Uh, they helped me get my dual citizenship for, nice. for Italy for the last few years. It's a long process. I had to get all the documents of my ancestors and all the ship they came over on at Ellis Island, all this wow. stuff had to hire a lawyer that they provided with me and, help me get those documents in, you know, in Avellino in Italy and in those town halls, which I had no access to. And my family's not over there anymore, but I actually just played in September for the European championship. It's kind of like the Euro cup baseball mm-hmm. equivalent, but it's, it's not as big like soccer is huge in Europe, but we yeah. played team. I was on team Italy and we won bronze in that. And they have the world baseball classic next year. And they, yeah have me slated as one of the players on a world baseball classic. So there's a lot of decisions, you know, sorry to go into that. Um, (laughs) You can tell I'm battling those decisions right now. Yeah. So, so how did you get on team Italy? And I mean, that's just being able to play for like, for your, your, your home country, right. Where your ancestors are from. Mm -hmm. That's incredible in in of itself right because not very many people have that opportunity to play for their home country or their where their parents or grandparents are from um how did you get on that team and then i know the the fall classic or the the world classic is coming up like yeah are you do you think like like what are your what are your thoughts on that yeah so i was with the mariners and when we were it was like my first or second spring training the Italian national team at that point was getting ready for like the 2013 world base or 14 world baseball classic, mm-hmm. whenever it was. And they were doing like a, they were going around the Arizona spring training complexes, like scrimmaging some of the minor league teams and stuff. And uh, we played them. And one of our mental skills coaches with the Mariners was actually on their staff as one of the assistant coaches, Rafi Madrano. And, um, Oh, sorry, Rafi Colon, and he um, he approached me and introduced me. I think it was actually Mike Piazza was the hitting coach at that time, or he was helping out at that time. And that was like the first time I even I had any idea about how to even go about that. They kind of mm-hmm. got a few of the guys with fouls in the last names who were up and coming, and were like, "Hey, would you be interested?" Yes. So then in 2016, when I was in big league spring training, the 2017 world baseball classic, they were doing their like recruiting for guys. And they had kept me in mind and actually talked with the manager at the time. His name was Jibo Girali. And one of the guys that was employed by them to help American players get their citizenship to be on the team. Uh, His name was um, Christian Mura. He was texting me and facebook messaging me and i was sending all my documents and then he put me in contact with the lawyer that the team uses to get all the documents officially because it's a man i tell you it was it took like four years and i there were times where it hit like a stalemate where i'm like i don't think i'm gonna end up getting it after all this time pushed through we kept grinding through it and we got through it but then um i just recently when it started in 2017 this process 
kind of started and then would stop because I didn't get it in time. So then the next tournament wouldn't be for like a year. So I kind of was like, oh, I didn't get it. And then I'd be hearing about the tournament again and I'd reach back out and be like, what, you know, what's going on? What's mm-hmm. another route we can do? And they yeah. would work with me. And I just, in August, August 2nd of this past year, 2021, I finally got approved and I had to fly home on an off day because I had to go to the Boston consulate like on that one day, cause they have so many people for months and months trying to get an appointment to try to, mm-hmm. they have to go in person and do your like fingerprints and all that kind of stuff. It's all legit. And, uh, I flew home just for the day, just to go into Boston to get my, my passport. Um, and then that was for the European championship in September. So now I have it, they can never take it away. And yeah, it, it's, it's crazy. Like, that's awesome that I have that. And, you know, the world baseball classic is next year. And as like, I did really well when I went over there, um, hit third for them and we won bronze. I hit a couple home runs. It was like, it was a 10 day or 11 day tournament. We played like mm-hmm. seven games and I had like three fifty, and, and drove in a lot of runs and did well. And yeah, they're like sl- slated. I'm slated to be on the roster for the world baseball classic. And you know, during the World Baseball Classic is when they get all the big league guys because mm-hmm. the other tournaments are kind of in the middle of the season. So a lot of guys don't want to make Do those work like qualifiers? Or, so um... Italy, based on their performance in the last World Baseball Classic, they won enough games that they got like an automatic okay. bid to this one. Um, there still are qualifying, like before you get to like the final eight, there's like 16. And I think those mm-hmm. are kind of all over the world, actually, wherever our bracket's going to be. I don't no yet they didn't come out with that stuff yet um but yeah it's like legit and i remember i had a couple of my boys and my teammates with the mariners like guy emilio pagan he pitches for the, pa- yeah, the padres yeah, out yeah. of the bullpen he was roommates yeah he was with oakland and he was with the rays and the mariners and mm-hmm. i think he's, he's on the padres the last couple of years yeah. We were roommates in AAA and in seventeen, and then he he's Puerto Rican, so he was on the Puerto Rican team that won. I think they won silver, like in the mm-hmm. last World Baseball Classic, and he was like, "Dude, like it was inc- it was crazy, it was incredible. There's nothing like it." And he's been in the big leagues for years now, and mm-hmm. he said, "I mean, even like if you keep progressing, not only is it an unbelievable experience, they pay you for yeah. every level that you get." um so yeah they said it's awesome and something that you got to experience if you have the opportunity to and i mean i hope that next year i'll be able to in some way that's incredible yeah my uh so my dad was my my mom's mexican but my dad was born in puerto rico so okay i uh yeah just watching those puerto rican teams like there's so many good puerto rican players in the league right now that's incredible Um, so yeah, I mean that that Puerto Rican team was super fun. I think Javi Baez, um, Baez Francisco Lindor, Lindor. I think yeah. Edwin Diaz Pagan. was their closer. Yeah, yep. yep. So, so it's uh, yeah, they were they were loaded. They were loaded. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, I w- I want to talk to you one thing before we get to to your to your like foundation and your and your work you do with them. You talked a lot about the mental game. What did you do as a as a player to remain? like as mentally strong as possible. And then if there were players who are now maybe in, in the minors or kind of going through that process, do you have any advice for them on how to stay mentally strong? Because I feel like, especially nowadays, there's a huge 
uh, like awakening to like oh, yeah. the, the actual like actual mental awareness that, that's that's a thing now before it was like you know toughen up uh-huh. but now people are more are open to the idea of like you know they're it's you know the mind's still part of the body that needs work on and you know uh, what what are your thoughts on that yeah so uh, again like i until college my, one thing that my college coach actually did when we'd be practicing when we would be in the northeast so it'd be rainy and snowy and stuff we'd have indoor practices and we'd have stations for hitting and one of the six stations would be a mental skill station okay. i never had anything i never heard about that before right like and even that was in like 2009 and 2010 so it was still it's crazy to think in 10 or 11 years how far how our perspective has changed on mental health and mm-hmm. and the mental side aspect of everything not just sports i mean and everything like you yeah. said just toughen it up that's how i always used to think oh i'm mentally tough i don't let things bother me i push through and put my head yeah. down that's i've realized that as i got older and i started to deal with like trauma off the field on and off the field but that stuff started to the pushing it down and never really dealing with it and knowing how to cope with things started to blow up in my face you know so it started to leak onto the field and affect me um Mm. so it really started to affect me in 2000 like 19 right before i was with the mets my grandfather who like taught me how to play baseball he was at every single game i like said goodbye to him to go to spring training and like the day after I got to Florida, he had like a massive heart attack and died. Oh. So he had been having like health, heart issues, but they, it was like, oh, it's under control. They, yeah. He was going to go in for a minor procedure and he didn't make it to the end of the week. Like it was a Wednesday and a Friday he was supposed to get surgery. He just like, so that again, like that really affected me. But again, how I used to think about it was like, okay, like, he would want me to do well on the field. So I didn't ever really give myself a chance to like feel that. So I went right back to spring training and was like back to grinding and back to the life and all that kind of stuff. And then I was hurt playing through an injury with a new team and I had a good spring training and then I went to double A and I started to unravel. It just started to, I mean, I worked with, I always believed in the mental skills coaches. It's mm-hmm. it's so important now at every single, I mean, I think every single team should have at least, they almost have a whole mental skills department, never mind one guy. So like, it's really important to work with those people. And it's, there's so much stuff that goes on and like off the field that we have to compartmentalize. And if we don't do a good job at that, it's going to start leaking into our performance and it's yeah. not even about that it started to affect my performance and then it started to affect me when i was off the field anyway so i started you know right after i got released by the mets after all this was happening it was like a shock you know i was crazy as like taken from me and i had surgery on my um sports hernia and i was 28 in june in july released with surgery and i didn't know what my future is going to be you know with and it started to really hit me i started to have mm-hmm. like uh panic attacks and stuff wow. and i and and like as a as an athlete especially at this level like i'm so in tune with my body and i started to have like physiological symptoms that i mm-hmm. was like there's got to be something wrong because it's mm-hmm. like if i have tendonitis i take ibuprofen and it gets better right. and i do rehab right and i was starting to feel things and like be in this 
days and this and like have the panic attacks and it felt like a heart attack i actually uh, like walked to the emergency room two different times because i i didn't know what was going on and i was terrified so and my my girlfriend and my fiance was at work so i i was terrified you know so and i started at that point you know going to work with a therapist and i've been mm -hmm. working with a therapist for two years a little bit over two years now the same guy i mean I mean, the good thing, like you mentioned in today's world, especially in sports, like it's so not taboo anymore to talk about mm -hmm. mental health. Like the view used to be, oh, don't be weak, just power through. Now it's mm -hmm. a sign of strength if you talk about yeah. how you have issues or everyone has things that they're dealing with mentally. Like someone like Dak Prescott is really open about what happened when his, his brother was killed and he was trying to be the quarterback for the Cowboys and it really affected him. You know, someone else like Hayden Hurst, he's the tight end for the, I think the Falcons. And he was really open about that. And actually one person that really helped me when I was going through it, listening to like Michael Phelps, I mean, oh, Michael yeah. Phelps was at the peak of everyone, of everything. Couldn't have, he won every gold medal that you could possibly do, uh, possibly competed in the Olympics, every record. And I listened to some podcasts about him and, how he was actually contemplating suicide like wow. after all that so when you really think that people are you know happy and and at the top you never know what they're going through like yep. he couldn't he was dealing with a lot of stuff behind closed doors and never let it he didn't want anybody to know because he was he was a gold medalist and that was it mm -hmm. an olympian so i think that knowing that other people are everyone's going through something there's some solace in community so you're going through it with other people you're not alone and that's really mm -hmm. helpful um to specifically to minor league players like that's get help or talk to the mental skills people that's why they're there i mean even when it comes to just as something as seemingly meaningless but it's not it's your performance that's your job yeah. so so i mean you we train our bodies we work out and lift right we train our skills we hit or a pitcher's throw in the offseason that's such a huge from the neck up is such an important part of anything everything in the world any sport but especially baseball like it's so mental 90 percent is mental they say yogi Berra said that funny quote and mm -hmm. it's true like once you get to the double a level if you can compete in double a you have like the physical ability they say mm -hmm. to make it it's yeah. from how quick you can make adjustments and how you can deal with adversity and overcome adversity at that point. So, yeah, I mean, it, work on your mental, your mental skills too, and learn coping mechanisms. And when I started going to therapy, um, it was huge. I started to learn new techniques. Like it's, I would compare it to, Oh, what's one way to get my core stronger. I start doing this exercise. So I started to tell my therapist, like, I'm an athlete. I take instruction from like a teacher or a coach. So for you, I'm going to view you as like my mental coach. And I want you to give me almost like, I mean, not literally, but almost like a mental workout, like give me tests and give me exercises. And I started to do them as like another workout that I would have. Mm -hmm. And I would view it that way. And it's really helpful. I mean, all the coping mechanisms and just talking about it with someone just, yeah. just getting out what you're thinking and all the feelings that you're bottling up for all these times all this time it, it's really helpful and i actually start i i've been journaling every night like i journal every night um for the last year and a half so all these different things and it's mitigated my symptoms and it's almost i mean i still 
feel it. I mean, I think mm-hmm. every day is like with mental health, it's always going to be a daily battle. It's never like, oh, like I said, the tendonitis. I take enough ibuprofen and it goes away. Like it's never mm-hmm. quite like I have good weeks and some bad weeks sometimes. And But again, like I'm open about it now because it's so helpful yeah. to talk about it. And it's Absolutely. so not taboo now. And uh, I know so many guys, once I started to open up, even roommates on the road, and they're like, you know what? I feel stuff stuff like that too yeah and uh it's really helpful to talk about people that you trust talk about it with people that you trust and just be open about it so that's a long-winded answer for minor league guys younger guys it's powerful uh, yeah yeah because it really affected me again when i look back in hindsight i would always say when i was younger and going through things oh i think i'm in a funk like i didn't know how to identify Mm -hmm. it now i know that was like times of higher anxiety or stress or i can identify it now i should just say oh it'll wear off and i didn't know how to you know really deal with it so Mm -hmm. now definitely in my wiser veteran age (laughs) i can it's really helpful and i don't mean to sound preachy but if you need to talk to someone i would i mean therapy really helped me a lot and Mm -hmm. i go to it weekly like even there's always going to be something that comes up in life like not only this struggle that i'm going with deciding if i'm going to keep playing or not but there's other things in my personal life that are going on uh that i'm always kind of just trying to deal with and make the best of and i think everybody has that in their lives absolutely no yeah like i said that's that's powerful to hear an example for somebody um because like i said it used to be taboo now it's not it's not to the point where it should be but it's huge leaps and bounds um and i feel like it's less taboo now to talk about that especially athletes i feel like a lot of athletes are advocates for the mental health um before we jump off talk to me about the hat you're wearing um and the foundation that you that you that you help with so thanks for giving me like a few minutes to talk about this and um plug the charity it's the hat i'm wearing it's um ms for MS. It's Mission Stadiums for Multiple Sclerosis. Um, My mother was diagnosed with MS, multiple sclerosis, in 1998. Um, And she really, the last few years has really, you know, it's a a disease where the lesions develop on your brain and your spinal cord. It's kind of like the the kind of MS she had was um, relapse remitting MS at first. So she would have like a relapse or an episode where she'd be hit right and it's like she would either have optic neuritis in her left eye which she couldn't see for weeks and slowly the vision would come back or her left arm would go dead there was an episode and then over weeks her feeling and her function would come back um for about 16 or 17 years that would be the type of ms that she had and when it wasn't an episode or a relapse she looked like she was totally healthy like no one even really knew um that she was that she was sick so right about 17 years it started to become it's called now secondary progressive ms so it turns into um irreputable damage at this point so the, the the damage started you know at her lower extremities and it started to work its way up so started at her foot and then it kind of moved its way up to the ankle and to the knee and now um she has trouble walking it's her whole left leg and it's starting in her like left hand now so she needs like a walker or a cane to walk i mean it's been tough to see that um 
because she's been so supportive my whole life. If it wasn't for her and my dad, yeah. I would never be anywhere near where the point that I'm at today. Uh, they've been 100% supportive. No matter at, with all of my my brother and sister too, no matter what they want to do, you you put mm-hmm. your 100 percent effort into it, and we'll support you. Um, so I always envision myself being an advocate for it in some way, shape, or form. Especially when I got drafted, uh, I felt like I, I knew that MLB players and players all over all this professional sports had had charities and uh, nonprofits that they supported. So I had always kind of thought that. When I get to the big leagues, I'm going to advocate for this. This is mm-hmm. my this is my um, purpose right here, other than baseball. Um, and when I was with the Mets, I always wanted to wait to, for the for some reason. I thought when I get to the big leagues, it'll be the right time. But yeah. then I realized, like, why do I need to wait anymore? I don't know what compelled me when I was in spring training with the Mets um, to to just take take um, the initiative and start reaching out to all the different um, social media, MS national societies, anyone that I knew that had anything to do, any connection with MS. And I actually got in contact with one of my friends from college who was on the softball team. And she posted something in um, about a walk to the MS walk to the top in New York city. And I asked her why, what had, what connection did she have? She said one of her best friends actually was diagnosed at like 26. So they walked for her. That was her team. We got put in contact. She ended up being the junior chair of the National MS Society, I think. So she had all the information um, that I would need. So I went back and forth with her on email and kind of had a conference call with her. And she actually connected me with the CEO and founder of MS4MS. His name's Sam Greenberg. And it was perfectly specific to what I was trying to do. And my, my baseball career, his, he was, came from a baseball family and it's really sports, sports oriented family. His mm-hmm. oldest brother played in the big leagues. Actually, oh, okay. he, he played college baseball and um, we set up a call and we connected right away. So what we do, it's a sports and entertainment nonprofit that tr- seeks to raise funds um, and research for ms warriors and for the we we donate our money to the johns hopkins um project restore ms center so we know where our money is going actually i came on in 2019 in 2019 we raised twenty thousand dollars wow 2020 we were on pace for 50 but when covid shut that Mm -hmm. down it was all virtual so what we do is a lot of in-person events so like we'll gather a bunch of try to be 50 or 60 people and go to like a game and show up in our orange shirt. So we take pictures at the event, we raise money. Uh, we have, we have events, virtual events, such as like an auction, which I ran this year. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, Nelly sent like an autograph bat. Chris Taylor is one of my really good friends. We got drafted together. He sent a bunch of the guys that I played with or against over the years. They sent, they were super supportive and sent a bunch of autograph stuff. So we had a memorabilia auction. Um, in 2020, like I was saying, sorry, we were on pace for $50,000, but we still raised 20, even though it got shut down such so wow. early in the year. And actually, I'm very proud to announce like this past year, we raised $100,000. That's um, incredible. We donated a check to Johns Hopkins a couple weeks ago, right before the new year in mid-December for $100,000. And actually, we donate 90% of our proceeds 
to the Johns Hopkins. The other 10 goes to MS warriors and their families that have trouble with the crazy medicine, um, the, the medical bills and the treatment bills. And even if they can't afford like a scooter or a walker, if they can't, you know, they can't afford it and they need that to help them walk and get around. We actually donated a hundred thousand to Johns Hopkins and twenty five over twenty five thousand dollars to families in need with MS. So, really fortunate to be a part of the organization. I'm really proud to try to be doing my part, and ultimately, hopefully, we can continue to grow exponentially. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to find a cure for MS. It's something yeah. there's a lot of research research going on and a lot of advancements going on, and the people at Johns Hopkins are doing a phenomenal job, and we hope to see that trending in the right direction in the future so i really appreciate you giving me a few minutes to talk about that that's obviously a cause that's important to me and near to my heart um so we have all the social media accounts i could could i plug those absolutely so for instagram it's at m s underscore the number four underscore m s so that's on Instagram. I'm pretty sure that's our Twitter handle too. We have a Facebook page, like a charity, a charity page. Um, we have a website. It's ms4, the number once again, ms.org. On there, you can find um, stories, like personal accounts of MS warriors that have written blogs for us. You can find information on our our ambassadors and our people on our team, like I'm a lead ambassador for them. You can find upcoming events and check out our store. Like we have really cool merchandise. There's actually a new winter line dropping soon with like orange winter hat, um, gray joggers and a zip up hoodie. So it's pretty cool. And uh, just check out the website. There's a, a link to donate on there. Anything that, I mean, any anything helps, any support, um, or any donation, small or big, it doesn't matter, helps. And really appreciate, again, you give me the opportunity to plug um, the charity and really bring some more attention to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking at the website now. Um, if you're if you're ever in the Midwest, like, because I'm, I'm in Wisconsin now, but if you're ever in, you know, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Chicago, anywhere, these that's, you know, not too far of a drive, let me know. I mean, I'd love to see what I can do to help and uh definitely contribute to a, a charity that's doing a great job and uh and doing like i said doing a really good job um helping and support that cause that is near and dear to your heart and honestly it's near and dear to so many other people who are right. affected by this issue here yeah thanks no i really appreciate it and uh for sure i'll keep that in mind and that's really that's one thing you, the last thing you just said it's like I always knew and my close friends and family knew that my mom had MS. Once I decided to like make a huge post about it and get involved and start advocating for it openly. So many people that I knew for so long had reached out and said, actually my aunt has MS or actually one of my cousins has MS. I really didn't, I didn't know that I would find out so many people are affected in one way or the other by it. And a lot of people just say, thank you for advocating for it. Thank you for doing this. We really appreciate it. And so many of my friends, family, everybody as teammates are really supportive. They donate and they take, take part in like some of the, some of the events. Like we have a, like a March madness event, it's like $25 for a bracket and we mm-hmm. have prizes. So it's really easy. And we, every single person 
a lot of people were really supportive of that. And I, I just can't thank all of them enough for yeah. something that's really meaningful. It, it means a lot to me. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. And that's, I, I, I appreciate what you do um, in, in that sense, because like I said, athletes have that platform that they can use for, for so, so many things. And that you, the fact that you use that platform that you have um, to help this charity, again, like you said, it's near and dear to your heart, but so many others as well that it's affected. Um, I do appreciate what, what you do, what you do, Dario. So, um, and I, I, I do appreciate the fact that you came on, spent, took some of your time to talk baseball and, uh, some time with me, um, out of your, out of your schedule. So I do appreciate that. I want to thank you for coming on Dario and like legitimately, like I, I wish you the best. Like, I think, um, like there's still so much more that you could do in, in the baseball world and in the, in the charity world. Um, just like talking to you, I feel like, you know, there's, there's so much more. And I, I really hope that, that this year you get a legitimate shot. Thanks, man. I, I, I could appreciate it more being on here. Another, another platform to allow me to yep. talk about my baseball career and my charity event, yep. uh, charity work. So I, I could do this. I could talk baseball all, all day, you know, so I, I love doing it, uh, especially in the off season downtime, especially in the lockouts. So there's not much oh other gosh. baseball yep. stuff going on. <laughs> uh, so anytime you give me an opportunity to be nostalgic and reminisce about the good old days or whenever my baseball career, I, I love to do it. Uh, for sure. I mean, I'll, I'll have you come back on. Like, I mean, I, I feel like there's so much more that I can talk about and uh, <laughs> yeah. like we'll have to have like a part two. <laughs> yeah, part two. You let me know when. We'll get on after the new year at some point. Yeah. All right. Daryl, you have a good rest of your night. Thanks, man. You too. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.